Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. The book of Ephesians is another letter of Paul. It's been divided into six chapters, and we're going to look today at chapters one through three. In chapter one, verse one, we're told that this letter was written to the saints who were in Ephesus and are faithful to Jesus Christ. Interesting that the phrase in Ephesus does not appear in some of the manuscripts that we found, including the oldest ones. Many scholars believe that the phrase in Ephesus was added later, either to be sure that they captured the initial church to which it went, or to make it match in style to the other letters of Paul, as he tells us to whom they were addressed. We believe this one was a circular letter. It was meant to be circulated among many churches, and therefore it might be why Paul initially didn't put in a specific church like Ephesus to which it was addressed. Both John and Charles Wesley, the brothers who are responsible for the Methodist movement, frequently used Ephesians as the text of their sermons and of their teaching, especially chapter 1 because they both believed that it so clearly spelled out the theme of salvation salvation through grace by faith. Now, I love the little book of Ephesians, and we could land and stay in it all day long, and it's really not possible, so I'm going to try to hit the highlights, but I apologize if I tend to mar down a little bit, because it's just a really rich book and that we could spend some time in. There are several themes that come out in the first chapter, the theme of adoption, of ransom, of Um, Grace being poured over us is such a beautiful picture. Um, The image of us as heirs getting an inheritance from God and being sealed by God. All just such rich imagery that could really be explored. One of the things I find interesting as adopted child myself is that a father could disown a child, but you could not disown a child you had adopted Once you took in someone who had been abandoned or orphaned, you could never abandon or orphan them again. So when God has adopted us, um, God never turns God's back on us. And we see in this chapter that in Christ, we find out who we are and what we are living for. It is in Christ that we discover what it means to live and be. One of the images in here is of being sealed. The idea that um, there were things planned from before. And I have a note in my Bible that says it was the plan and not the people that was decided before. This was God's plan to redeem us, to give us a way to come into right relationship with God. It wasn't that God predetermined who would be able to get in. So as a, as a Methodist, we reject the idea of predestination, 
that some people were already predestined to come into relationship with God, and some were predestined for destruction or for separation from God. We believe that free will gives us the right, the opportunity. The right is not a good word. Free will gives us the opportunity to choose whether or not to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God wanted children, not puppets. So we are only truly free to choose to be in relationship with God if we are also truly free to reject that offer of relationship. There is a beautiful prayer in Ephesians um, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Um, Paul includes two prayers in this book, or even in the passages that we're talking about today. And you can pray those for people by inserting their name or them in there. I wanted to give you an example of that, both with this passage and with the later one. So I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and I'm just going to pray it as a prayer. And I'm going to pray it for my husband. Um, And so I invite you to see what this looks like and sounds like and how you might be able to use and pray scripture for those in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give Joseph a spirit of wisdom and of revelation as you come to know him and as he comes to know you. I pray that the eyes of Joseph's heart will be enlightened, that Joseph would know the hope to which you have called him. I pray that Joseph would experience the riches of his glorious inheritance among all your saints, your children, and those who have chosen you. I pray that Joseph would know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power working in those of us who believe in you and who trust in you according to the working of your great power in Joseph's life. Lord, I pray that you would put this power to work in him as you did in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead, when you seated Jesus at your right hand in the heavenly places. For Lord, we know that far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions of this world is your son, Jesus Christ. Far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Lord, you have put all things under the feet of your son, Jesus Christ, and you have made him the head over all things, including the church. And having made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ, you have placed us in a position of experiencing victory and not defeat at the hands of all that the world has. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen Jesus, that Joseph in his body, and that the fullness of Jesus Christ would live in him, that you would fill him until he is filled to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. So you could just kind of place someone's name in Scripture and explore um, how God might um, work in their lives. It's a, it can be a really powerful and good way to find words to put into um, your prayers for people. Chapter 2 I feel like Paul really describes a resurrection in us. It's a very powerful, almost analogy, certainly parallel to the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected for us, but we too have been resurrected. We were once dead in our sin and have been given life in Jesus Christ. We have been resurrected from the deadness of our sins. Um, 
We thought we were living. We thought we were alive, doing what we wanted, but we weren't really living. We only discover we're really living when we find our life in Jesus Christ. And for some who aren't Christians, they feel like yielding to the Holy Spirit means missing out on good stuff. I don't want to be enslaved to all these rules. I want to be free to do what I want to do. But over and over, Scripture tells us that sin is really a form of bondage. It takes hold of us and carries us places that we don't want to go. True freedom actually comes in submitting to the Holy Spirit. It's one of those mysteries of faith, one of those things that doesn't make sense to the natural ear, but ends up really being true, that true freedom comes from signing yourself up to follow and obey someone or something else. In verse 9, we are reminded that we can't be prideful. We can't boast about our salvation because we didn't save ourselves. Um, It's a common theme with Paul's writing, a common theme with Christianity, is that we cannot save ourselves, that there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve our salvation, our forgiveness, And we cannot become holy in and of ourselves. All we can do is be grateful and respond to the grace of God. And this, in fact, brings peace. Peace comes to us through Jesus Christ. We no longer have to have anxiety over following rules and getting it right. We no longer have to have fear of judgment from getting it wrong. We no longer have to worry about who's included and who's excluded, that the Jewish people were accepted and Gentiles were rejected. All of those kinds of dividing and barriers have been dissolved. And Paul says very strongly and very firmly, we are in that all the ethnic groups, all the peoples of the world are part of God's plan. He calls us all to be in relationship. There are no longer strangers, no longer aliens, another um, odd word for foreigners, but we are all become part of the tribe, the ethnic group, the family that is the family of God. He goes on to use a building metaphor that God is building a building on the past, on the the words and the teaching of the prophets and the apostles, but now we are new blocks, new ideas of grace and hope and peace and love and joy are added to those words of the prophets in the past and the history so that the building continues to build and grow and it's all held together. It all comes together into one complete plan in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, um, Paul talks about hidden knowledge. The Greeks were very concerned with hidden or secret knowledge that you earned a particular um, step into a secret organization before you got more information and were told the secret things. I don't think he's talking about knowledge we have to earn um, our way into before it is revealed to us. But there is a little bit of a parallel that Understanding some things of faith takes faith. It takes a choice to trust. There are mysteries, things that don't make sense to the natural ear or the natural mind, 
but there are spiritual principles at work. We need to open our spiritual eyes. Let the scales fall away from our eyes, the Bible says. We need ears that can hear. We need God to dig out the wax that clogs up our ears so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And then in chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, we have another one of these prayers that can really be tailored to pray for others. Um, So I'm going to pray another prayer. I'm going to pray it once again for my husband. And just to give you an example of how you could do this and pray it for those in your life. I pray, O Lord, that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant Joseph that he may be strengthened in his inner being with power in his spirit from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that Christ may dwell in Joseph's heart through faith and that Joseph would be deeply rooted and grounded in love. I pray, Lord, that Joseph would have the power to comprehend with all of your children, with all of the saints, that marvelous and magnificent breadth and length and height and depth that Joseph would know the love of Christ, which surpasses all that knowledge, that your love, that your grace, that your presence would just surround him so that the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love and your presence become fully known to him. I pray, Lord, that Joseph would be filled with all the fullness of you, O God, because it is by you that we have the power at work within us to accomplish abundantly far more than we can think, ask, or imagine. And I pray, Lord, that Joseph would live a life that would bring glory to you in the church and in Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen. We're reminded in verse 15 of chapter 3 that we are part of the family of heaven. And it is the ultimate inclusion statement. For it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Most of the translations use the word family in verse 15. Um, The Common English Bible, I noticed, used the word ethnic group. And it says, from whom every ethnic group in heaven and earth takes its name. Or every ethnic group is recognized by God. The New Living Translation says, the creator of everything there. And so this chapter ends almost as though it could end the letter itself with an amen as the prayer ends. But we find that we are all included in God's love and grace. And that's what we as Christians want to do is not only be included, but help others begin to be included. So we're halfway through the the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. I look forward to hearing what has stood out to you.